Thank you for joining me again. This is Semitic Jew. Today I'm going to look at the next few passages or the next few set of verses in Genesis chapter 1, um, in particular verses 14 through 31. Let's go. All right. So we left off last time examining um, Genesis chapter 1. And in particular, we looked at verse uh, verses, um, let's see. In particular, we looked at uh, day one and day two and day three, and we discussed what God, what Elohim, because that's the word used here for God, that is Elohim in the Hebrew, what Elohim did um, during creation week. Now we're going to look at verses 14 through 31, and we're going to dissect those verses and see if we can understand and gain some spiritual insight from what from what God did during this week. So verse 14, it says, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So right off the bat, uh, to begin day four, God starts with the plan. God says that he's going to um, create these lights and he's going to set them in the firmament. And we looked at that word for firmament. It, it, it means sky or it means a situated or hard type of uh, physical structure um, that is above the earth, that is enclosing the earth or enclosing the heavens into um, what we are now in. So it says, let, let there be lights in the firmament to divide the day from the night. Again, here we see separation of God um, saying that he's going to take those lights and he's going to demonstrate that he wants those lights to separate the light from the darkness as he did on day one. And then he's also going to let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days, and for years. So we, we see so much in this verse, and we see the, the powerful nature of God for him to be able to say something, and then that thing is created. Whatever God conceives of, God manifests it, and only God can do that. One one thing in particular I want to look at in verse 14 is the word for signs. Okay, so the word for signs, obviously sign is something that is um, is put there for a reason or put there to uh, demonstrate something. It's not um, by random accident that that thing is there. It's obvious that it's there. Or it may not be obvious that it's there. It may be something that we have to discover as to why it's there. So God put those lights in the firmament as signs. Okay. Now, that word sign, or excuse me, various passages in the Bible, one in particular, you can find it in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2. Um, and this is a very notable passage in, um, in Jeremiah where it condemns um, Christmas tree worship and also uh, putting Christmas trees in your home. We'll get to that at some point. But uh, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord, learn not the ways of the nations, or learn not the ways of the heathen. 
nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. Okay, so the word for signs, like I said, it's right here in Genesis chapter 14. And then also that word for dismays in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 2, is the Hebrew word meaning to stretch out. Okay, which is very important. Um, so God is saying here in Jeremiah, um, don't learn the ways of the other nations. Don't learn the ways of the heathens, those who do not know me, um, because they are stretched out when it comes to the signs of the heavens. They're trying to figure out, oh, what's the sun mean? What's the stars mean? What's these luminary bodies in the firmament? What do these things mean? Do they affect how I get a job or if I should go to work or if I should eat? Um, they're stretched out over those things, over the, the sun, moon, and the stars, trying to figure out um, what those things mean. I remember um, a couple years ago, um, so I've been working as a school teacher, and a couple of years ago, I heard some teachers say that there was a full moon, and because there was a full moon, we could expect the kids to be misbehaving um, because there was a full moon. And again, like I said, the heathen loved to uh, take what God did right here, where he says that he's going to give the luminary bodies, the lights, as a sign, and they love to say that those things are affecting the outcomes in the world but that's not what god intended them for he intended these luminary bodies for signs for seasons in various parts of the earth you see the the various seasons um and here in the united states we um, separate the seasons as far as um spring summer winter fall and most parts of the earth do that some places apart um some places in the earth uh, do not see those same seasons. Nevertheless, those seasons are in constant rotation in the earth. Um, there's a, another passage in, I believe, the book of Deuteronomy that talks about how those things won't end ever. And also, the luminary bodies were designed for days and for years. So uh, generally speaking, verse 14 is all about these signs being used to mark time. Okay, so the sun, the moon, and the stars, those things are set in the firmament of the heaven to, uh, for us to order our days and order time, etc. Um, one, one thing I want to like, I want to add is um, there's, there's two passages in the book of Psalms that comes to mind when I think about um, time and what it means for a creature like myself, a human being like myself, an Israelite like myself, that keeps time regularly. Um, that One of the verses is found in Psalms chapter 90, or Psalms 90, verse 12. Psalms 90, verse 12 says, Teach me to number my days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. So there is wisdom in numbering our days, obviously, because here, God says, God says, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens. So God put them there as a sign, number one, to teach us to number our days, like it says in Psalms 90, verse 12, so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And remember, in Hebrew, the heart is not, uh, unfortunately, it's been distorted by a Western philosophy. But um, when, when folks think about their heart, they think about the um, the thing in your chest that's bumping the beat, uh, the beat of the drum in your chest. But 
heart actually meant your will, your emotions, the very being in which you are, the person that God made you to be, or the person that um, the person that is within that uh, human body that you are operating in. So it says, teach me to number my days so that my heart, that my mind may gain wisdom for the things that God has done, right? Here in verse 14 is right there. And then the other verse I wanted to look at was Psalms 39 verse 4. Show me, O Lord, my end and the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. This is another very personal psalm written by David. Um, asking the Lord to show him his end, because as we are, if we're numbering our days, if we're numbering um, how we are uh, walking about the earth, what we're eating, what we're drinking, uh, what we're consuming, um, those things are impacting our days, the measure of our days here on the earth. Only the Most High knows how many days that we're on the earth. We've seen, uh, I believe it was King Hezekiah, if I'm not mistaken, who whose time was was increased in the earth. So uh, we can see that, uh, obviously, we've heard uh, elderly people say his time was cut short because of the evil that he was doing, and et cetera. Um, uh, so we've, we've, we hear passages, or we hear things like that mentioned in the streets, but here, obviously, in Psalms 39, verse 4, we see that we need to measure our days because uh, as the psalmist says, our days are numbered. And here in verse 14, um, that was one of the things that God ordained for the sun, moon, and stars. Verse 15, it says, And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So those, those lights that God is creating, um, they're made for signs, seasons, days, and years. And they're also made to give light on the earth, to give warmness to the earth. If it wasn't for the sun, if it wasn't for those luminary bodies, crops, etc., so many things that we need would not be in existence. Verse, four, uh, verse 16, it says, and God made two great lights. Remember, there's two words that um, that we use to describe God's work, the word the word created and the word made. The word made implies that God took um, substance that was already there to make something that was not there. And that's what God is doing here. And he made the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. It's funny how at the end it says he made the stars also as if that's a light thing. But here, we definitely understand that the Elohim is very, very powerful in that he can create a universe out of nothing. So it says that he made the two great lights, the sun and the moon. And then verse 17, and it says he, he set them, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. It's funny how it says in verse 17 that God set them as if they're arranged perfectly according to God's will for them. And it reminds me of something I've, I remember discussing with the atheists some time ago, and they were trying to explain the universe, how it came into existence and um, by some random 
act that uh, they don't know how it was generated because they can't substantiate um, the Big Bang Theory or evolution because neither of those things um, happened. It's just some fancy way to theorize about the universe because uh, they hate the Bible and they hate God. But nevertheless, it says that God said them and arranged them perfectly. Even in the Greek, if you go into the Greek and it looks and you look at the word cosmos, even that describes an orderly arrangement. Because if it were not so, then there would not be maps generated by various human civilizations that have mapped the stars and um, created constellations. And those same constellations are in effect today and haven't changed throughout the thousands of years that the earth has been in existence, which tells us that there is an orderly arrangement to creation exactly as God, how God has said it, has, exactly how God described this to be. It's funny also, just to add, as it says that God set them, verse 17, um, as if they're arranged perfectly, right? And then it reminds me of something in the in the New Testament, when Christ was teaching his disciples to pray, and he said, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So it's, it's interesting that the luminary bodies keep their same position, no matter what. The sun appears to rise and set every single day. It has been the same. The moon appears at night, etc. There's no deviation of those things, nor has there ever been a deviation of those things. And Christ is saying, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your, let your will be done within every Israelite's life and everyone who calls on the name of the Most High that does not understand that they're Israelites and that may be seeking God and not know that they are children of God. Verse 18, and it says to, to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And then verse 19 ends day four, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Again, um, this evening and morning ending the first day, ending a 24-hour period, and not thousands or millions of years. None of those things fit into Scripture. Um, that would be eisegesis, reading into Scripture what is not there. Verse 20. Verse 20 says, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the opening of the firmament. It's interesting here because it says, Let the waters bring forth the moving creature. So God used the waters to bring forth these moving creatures. And then in verse 21, it says that God created them. So God used the water to create these things that did not exist. That God used the water. And then in verse 20 also, it says that and, which implies that God did the same thing for the fowl. It says fowl that may fly above the earth in the opening of the firmament of heaven. So God created the great wells and every living creature that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every wing fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. So it's very, very interesting that God used the waters to bring forth marine life and all of its uniqueness, and the birds who fly above the earth in the firmament. 
in verse 21, it's interesting because God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill, or excuse me, let me back up, actually verse one, 21, not 22. And it says that God created great wells and every living creature that moved with which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So in the English, it says great whales. But if you go into the Hebrew, actually, the word for whales is sea monster and dragon and serpent and sea dragon. There's many cultures across, across the lands of the earth that describe using the term mythology, right, which is a misnomer, but they incorporate those things as if uh, there are some legends and, we, and they're too fanciful to be true, but we can find truths in those things. But nevertheless, the Hebrew term here is dragon is sea monster and all of those things fit into um this domain here for the word whales and every living creature that moveth with which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind so those same creatures will reproduce after their own kind now some some suggest the the oceans make up 75% and then the land that we're on make up 25%. While that might be accurate, um, theoretically, which tells us that the oceans have not fully been mapped and, there's, and it's absolutely impossible to understand the depth of the waters which with, uh, uh, with which the oceans are and the lakes and all those things. There's, it's impossible to search those things. But nevertheless, God used them to create marine life and also the birds and God saw that it was good. In Sirach chapter uh, 43 verse 25 it says for therein be strange and wonderful works for therein be strange and wonderful works all kinds of beasts and all kinds of whales again that there's that word again whales using it to apply to dragons and all sorts of things. Okay, verse 22, and it says, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and let the fowl multiply on the earth. So God put in these creatures the ability to be fruitful. Right. That's their that's their ability. God put the ability for them to be able to multiply, to be able to bring forth offspring according to its kind. In other words, there's a jellyfish will offshoot a jellyfish. A jellyfish will not generate uh, a shark or generate a killer whale in no way, shape, or form, nor has that ever been in the history of the universe. God put in these creatures, every creature, the ability to re reproduce after its own kind. And also, you apply that to this marine life and the fowl uh, that fly above the earth. Verse 22, and God blessed them, and he um, and he gave them that ability, uh, which, like I said, also includes the birds, etc. And then verse 23, it says, in the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So obviously we see here in, in verse, or excuse me, in, in day five, God is creating all of these amazing marine creatures that have so many interesting abilities. I'm not a zoologist or I don't necessarily study the uh, the aspects of every single ocean creature but every single creature 
in the ocean. Amber has a very uniqueness that describes the ability that God put in those creatures, which is very amazing um, to think about. Next, in verse 24, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, verse 25, and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. So it's, it's interesting here, right? Right out, verse 24, God is using the land that he brought forth out of day three. It says, let the earth, let that land bring forth the living creature after its kind, cattle, creeping thing, and beasts of the earth. And it was so. So these are domains, the living creature after its kind, that's encompassing all creatures, right? And then cattle, all cattle, all types of variations of cattle, creeping thing, all types of creatures that creepeth upon the ground from crickets to gnats to centipedes, all those things. Um, and uh, you can research the different types of cattle, the different types of creatures, but nevertheless, God is fil fulfilling all these domains uh, with these terms. And then the beasts of the earth after his kind. So God, God put a plan together on day six and said, he's going to do this. And then verse 25, and it says that God made them. Again, that term God made, God used the earth to bring forth the beasts according to their kind. Categorically, God does not make, one thing I want to point out is categorically, we don't see, uh, unlike, unlike day four where God said, I'm going to make the, the sea creatures and I'm going to make the birds. And he does all of that in one unison. Well, on day six, although he's making all the animal creatures, he's going to separate um, in verse 26, the creation of man from the creation of beasts. So he's, he's isolating in verse 24 and 25, the creation of beasts and the creation of land animals and living creatures in particular. So verse 25, it says, and God made them according to their kind. Um, it's also interesting to note that, that um, as I mentioned, that categorically when God created man, that man, the first man, is a black man. And I'm using that term colorism, uh, the, the, the colorism term for black, to differentiate from the fact that Adam was white. It's impossible for Adam to be a white man. It's impossible for Adam um, to even be considered to have a a plum look or to appear like a European or or a Jewish person or um or any other variation of white or off white or any of those complexions. It's absolutely impossible biblically and scientifically. Um God made the first man to be a black man. Okay. Um I just want to put that out there. And then so I also want to look at something. So when it comes to the Hebrew for the beast, that's also talking about um, in verse 25, and God made the beasts. It's talking about creatures of prey, wild animals, etc. when you go into the Hebrew. But you must know that before the fall of, of Adam, before the fall of, of Adam, that there were no creatures of prey, that men 
that men and animals were not preying on each other. They weren't eating um, the flesh that had the blood therein. But nevertheless, the beasts after their kind, meaning that the creatures cannot morph into other beasts. So there's no, no wolf. No wolf came from a whale. There's no chimpanzee going upwards in the genetic gene pool and becoming a human being. None of that fits into scripture. It's all outside of the Bible. It's all anti-God. It's all uh, opposed to, to the logic, to the beautiful spiritual logic of scripture and the logic of reality. So when we deviate from the Bible, we are deviating from logic and we're also deviating from God and from common sense. So it's interesting. None of those, none of those creatures are ever going to morph into something that they're not. And they're only going to reproduce after their own kind, all the way down to the creeping thing. Now, verse 26, and it says, and, God, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So it's interesting here that this is the pinnacle of the creation of God, that man is the pinnacle of creation, that God started from the bottom. Now we're here. I just wanted to get that. <laughs> God started from the bottom with the abyss of creation, the waters of creation, and then all the way up to the creation of man. God is saying, let us make man in our image. And another thing I want to point out, too, is it says that God says, let us make man um, and a couple questions arise. Is God speaking to Christ here? Is he speaking to uh, Jesus? Yahweh Shai, is God, is God talking to Christ here? Is he speaking to the angels? Um, or is he speaking to himself? I've heard various arguments um, about all of them. Some, some people feel like it's the first um, point in scripture where the Trinity is mentioned implicitly. And again, Reading into the scriptures, what is not necessarily there. I don't want to do that ever when I read the scriptures. I just want to op read it with an open mind. It says what it says. So what I believe here in verse uh, verse 26 is um, sort of the expression that we see like in verse, in verse 20 and in verse 9, where it says that God said, let us do this. Or excuse me, let, uh, for example, verse 20, it says, and God said, let the waters bring forth. And, and then verse 24, and it says, and God said, let the earth bring forth. And then verse 26, it says, and God, let us make man. And God said, let us make man in our images. So it, it has the same type of structure grammatically as if God is just saying, um, and we can say in a more fancy way um, to kind of elevate what he's doing over creation for our benefit, not for um, not necessarily for us to overanalyze the scriptures, but God is saying to himself that I'm going to make man after my own image, and I'm going to give him dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl and over the cattle and over every and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing upon the um, that creepeth upon the earth. That's what I believe. I believe that God is just saying to himself that, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this man to rule over creation, as he said in verse 20, in verse 24, and other passages in scripture. God is saying that he's going to do this, and, and it was so, which is incredible. So man is made in the image of God, 
right? That's that's very important. The first man, the first black man to be created, direct creation of God, the first, we can say the first Negro man was created by God, and he possessed the image of God. In other words, he is a representation of God. He is the first God on the earth, so to speak, the first Elohim, the first representation of the Elohim in the earth. Very, very important. Very important. And God gave him dominion over everything that he did prior to. He gave him the dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all of the earth. And we see various inventions have been uh, discovered by man, not created by man, because man cannot create. Man can only make from what God has done. But the dominion over the fish of the sea, um, the boats, the things that we are able to do, the submarines and things, our ability to understand how to make inventions that go underwater, that travel on top of water, demonstrating our dominion over the fish, our ability to capture them, to understand their habitat, to understand how to feed them, and to understand how to help them reproduce so that we can capture more and sustain them. Uh, very, very important. And then also over the fowl of the air with the invention of the airplanes and our understanding of aerodynamics and our understanding of flight, flights with these creatures and, um, and things like that over the cattle, our ability to domesticate various creatures and understand them and uh, to help them live longer by giving them pastures to graze, etc. So man from the beginning was given dominion over all of creation all the way down to the various creatures that creepeth upon the ground. We can also say that the first man must have been African, right? Let's just put it out there. The first man had to have been African. The first man had to have been a Negro. And I'm using that term African because Africanus actually is only a couple hundred years old, but I'm using that to kind of put a picture in your mind that this man, Adam, had to have been black. He could not have been white. Like I said, genetics proves this. Adam had to have come or had to have been a dark complexion human being. It's the only explanation for the melanin variation within the context of human beings. If um, you have the, the, the strongest dominant complexion, which some people say it's black, right? That's a black person is what they say. And again, like I said, it's uh, calling someone black and calling someone white is actually a misnomer that was created by um, colonialism, but nevertheless, um, even someone of a dark, dark complexion is a a dark, dark red essentially. Because man, if you go into the Hebrew, it even says that man was made from the darkness of the earth or the the dust of the earth. And some other places you read about red clay and things like that. But even biblically or scientifically, it just proves that Adam um, had to have within himself the genetic uh, dominant feature, which is, um, which is the darker color of melanin. So we can say that Adam was definitely a Negro dark man. So all people come from Adam, all of them. Every variation of human being comes from Adam, essentially. And Adam was created in the image of God. <clears throat> Right, and so black is essentially a synonymous with God. Uh, there's so much negative connotation of, behind black people and behind what it means to be black. And you go on Twitter, you know, 
on various social media and you even study history, there's so much genocide done to black people on behalf of their complexion, on behalf of what um, the lighter races felt like was a condemnation, right? And essentially, it's it's only envy. It's envious of what someone is or what someone else has that they don't have. You can also go to Revelation chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. It talks about how God is a dark red jasper stone. <clears throat> Me personally, I wear jasper stones on my wrist, and it's ironic that the, the similitude between those jasper stones and my own flesh is very, very accurate. It also suggests that God has a body, right? Man was created in the image of God. In the image of God created he, him, male and female created he them some people like to only say that god has a, that adam had a spirit a soul and a body and they like to say that man is a trinity just like god is a trinity but i do i don't necessarily subscribe to that but i do believe that god um imparted his spirit which is what the image of god is to man <clears throat> and man also does have a soul and a body and i also feel like when you go to John chapter four, verse 24, um, Jesus said that the time will come will, where uh, people will worship God in spirit and in truth because God himself is a spirit. And some people like to interpret that verse as meaning that a spirit um, is like this uh, phantom. It's, it doesn't have any form or um, substance necessarily. And while that may be true, it does not necessarily imply that God does not have the form of a man as well. So God not only imparts himself to man, but he also gives man dominion. Throughout history, we, we've seen that, um, that evil men have exercised dominion over other people. We, 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 we turn on the news, you see that all over the place where, um, where men are killing men, women are killing their husbands, and you know, people are killing their own babies and things like that. It's man dominating other men because because they're uh they're sinful they're deviating from what god originally did which was gave dominion over the whole earth as we read here in in verse uh 26 it says and god gave man dominion over all of the fish all of the birds all of the cattle and over all the earth everything but nevertheless, we see how man is dominating other men, and it's absolutely evil. Men are not meant to dominate other men. Men are not meant to enslave other men. And even with the justification of sin, understanding that sin is in the earth, there's still not a justification for having dominion over other people. It's still sinful. So God gave man, Adam, the dominion over the fish, the fowl, the cattle, all of the earth, every creeping thing. And God made man, verse 27, God, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created man in the image of Elohim. And in the image of Elohim, God created man. And then verse 28, God says that he, <clears throat> well, before I get there, I just want to also make a note that when God says that he, uh, verse 27, that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female who created them. So notice God is God is dividing man into one category or two categories, excuse me. He's taking singular man and saying that I'm making I'm going to create man male and female he created them plural. So he's talking about both sexes here, but he's calling both of them man because you'll see later when um when marriage is brought up that when two are brought together they are no longer two but one that's the mystery of marriage so the world is deceived by that obviously because the world says that the sexes are fluid that you know uh you can be if you're born a biological male you can be a female all you have to do is take these estrogen pills um if you're born a female you can uh get a genetic switch and you know um and experience all the female things it's it's absolutely insane what is going on in the earth now with the legislation of immorality it came in 2016 here in the US and it was it was practiced throughout throughout the the subsequent years but secretly because even in 1960 the APA association the American Psychological Association um actually published homosexuality which is kind of like a it's an umbrella within this within this context they published it as a as a um uh what do they call it they call it a mental illness and that's just a fact you can research it on your own but now they're legislating it and saying well you know these people need to be protected etc which is i mean essentially true we want to protect human life but we don't we don't want to protect human life um on the basis of doing something that's essentially harming themselves like deviating from what god intended them to be which is male or female not um they and them and all these plural thousands of pronouns and things like that it's all rubbish verse 28 and god blessed them and god said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the word for replenish is actually fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth um, upon the earth. So here God is just letting us know that he's putting in them like he did the trees and like he also did um, the marine life and also like he did the beasts of the field, the ability, it says be fruitful. So God put the ability to procreate um, just like the other things that God made, the other living creatures, and then the ability to multiply, the ability to have children in the earth and to fill the earth with more humans, more of the image of God, and to sub subdue the earth, meaning to bring the earth under his control. This was man's divine right to bring the earth and everything living in the earth under his control. Not other men, as you can see, it's clear God gave man dominion over all of the earth, but not people. Verse 29 is the giving of food. Verse 29 and verse 30, and it says that God, be, God said, Behold, I am giving you every green herb, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for me, and to every beast of the, feet of the earth, and to every fowl of the earth, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life I have given every green herb for meat and it was so 
And verse 31, it says, and God saw that all that he had made and behold, it was very good in the evening, in the morning were the sixth day. So verse 29 is obviously the giving of food. And it's interesting to note that the giving of food begins with man. And God says, I'm giving you every herb or every herbage, um, every type of vegetable, flower, etc. Um, those things will be for meat. And the word for meat is basically nourishment. Those things will be to you for nourishment. And I'm also giving you the trees, the trees that have fruit in them. And those obviously those trees are for your nourishment as well. And we we've, we've seen throughout the generations, even way back in ancient Egypt, uh, which was dominated by also black people, which was dominated by the Hamites. Um, they were able to understand that there were various things that you can do with herbs, like make medicines, etc. But this is after the fall. And we'll get to all of those things. But the Bible is so interesting because it comes with this is, first of all, the beginning of creation, the beginning of the universe, the beginning of, of the question that we have in our mind. Like, how did we get here? Who put us here? Um, and what is he like? And you read chapter one of Genesis and you, and you realize that this God is amazing, that he's incredible, he's intelligent, and that he loves creation. At the very beginning, he loved creation, which is why he created it. In addition to that, the herbs, the trees, all those things that God gave to man, God gave them to to be our nourishment. Obviously, now we're eating, um, you know, chicken and things like that, according to the dietary laws. But those things did not happen until after the Noahic covenant. So this is essentially the Adamic covenant. We can say that the Adamic covenant is what God instituted from the beginning. So we see that God instituted laws from the beginning for man which is contrary to what a lot of people believe. They don't believe that there were laws in the beginning, but that's a part of God's nature. Verse 30, it also says that, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, where, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb. So it's just interesting to note that there is a difference between the uh, nourishment that God gave Adam, that God gave man on verse 29, to the nourishment that God gave uh, the beasts and all of the living creatures on the earth, he gave them every green herb. So he just emphasizes that he gave the green herbs um, to those creatures and not necessarily the fruit of the trees, etc. Verse 39, and it says that God saw everything that he made, and it was very good. It's important, it's important to mention that God made it. He made it. He made this. He made that. He made the light. He made the darkness. He made uh, the grass. He made the trees. He made the mountains. He made the ro He made the 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 valleys, the rivers, the the various uh, marine lives, the clouds, the the rain, the the snow, all of it. God made all of it. God made the trees. God made every little blade of grass. God made every little uh, stone, every little type of uh, marble of sand, down to the very minute things of creation, matter and energy. God made all of it. God is the author of it. It didn't happen by chance. And the only thing that we can do when we look at creation is we can contribute to it. We can contribute it by discovering what God has did. One of my favorite verses uh, in scripture is uh, Proverbs chapter 25, verse two. It says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's the glory of a king 
to search out a matter. And that's one of the things that we've done. We've, um, we've taken that God, what God has provided for man, and we've co-made things by way of discovering various laws through physics and mathematics and other types of sciences. But those things, are, like I said, are hidden in creation. And without a mind to understand it, how would we be able to, to do what we do, to make computers, to make houses, to do various things in creation if we weren't created ourselves and if a divine being did not make it so that we can understand creation? It's absolutely impossible. Things don't happen by random accident. So God saw all of this, how man was able to, how man would number one, be able to use all these things. How God saw all of that. And God said, you know what? Verse 31, and God saw all that he had made and behold, behold means that God looked at it very carefully and said, man, it's very good. And the evening and morning were the sixth day. Man, I just want to also add that man was not bored. There's no such thing as boredom. When you think about the work of God, I never get bored. There's always something for me to do. There's always a scripture for me to read or to study. As much time as we spend doing things in the world, we forget that God is the author of creation, that God is never bored, that God put in creation um, this mystery, and that as divine beings, we need to go and search those things out. So the first man was never bored, and God made it so that it was like that. And verse 31 says, and God looked at it and it was very good. And there was the evening and there was the morning, the end of the sixth day. So thank you for joining me again. This is Semitic Jew. Um, I had fun with this episode. This episode pretty much summarized uh, what God did on day four with the luminary bodies, how God filled uh, the firmament with those luminary bodies and the stars. And then also on day five, how God filled the waters that he had uh, gathered together with various animals and then the birds to be able to fly over the firmament. And then also on day six, how God used, how God brought out of the earth all these various creatures made from the dust and then ultimately leading to his, the pinnacle of God's creation with man. In the next episode, we'll look at chapter two. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I hope you guys are looking forward to that. Thank you for joining me on Semitic Jew, and I hope you'll tune in next time. And as always, all praises, all honor, and all glory to the Most High. Shalom. Oh, 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 oh,